Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Today we have with us Troy Kemp. And Troy is a native of Riverhead, New York, and he's a graduate of Colgate University. And for 24 years, Troy was on the faculty at Macaulay School as a teacher, administrator, dorm parent, and coach. And at Macaulay, Troy earned awards for teaching excellence and mentoring boys. And as a three-time Coach of the Year recipient, he has guided his lacrosse team, check this out guys, to eight state titles. And in July 2016, Troy was named Executive Director of the National Center for the Development of Boys, where he works to improve the lives of boys by providing resources and programs for parents, teachers, mentors, and organizations, and who are committed to helping boys with their learning and development as a journey to manhood. And Troy is a man after my own heart. And Troy and his wife, Diane, they have three adult children, and maybe we'll get him to talk a little bit about that as well as family. And I formally met Troy at a mentor training program that I was conducting for the Chattanooga Preparatory School for Boys here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, I say formally met because I had the pleasure of attending an event that Troy and his organization sponsored featuring Michael Gurian, a recognized expert in therapists and family systems. And I got to tell you, that event was phenomenal and well attended, but I didn't get a chance to meet Troy personally. But after my mentoring training workshop, Troy introduced himself to me, and now I'm glad to call him my friend. I already knew um, a little bit about his work and what he did in his organization, so I invited him to be on the show today to talk to us about helping boys thrive while we survive as fathers, mentors, and disciple makers. So welcome to the show, Troy, and I'm so glad to have you with us, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to, to, to share and, and listen and learn, and uh, I appreciate you inviting me on the show. You know, it's funny now, as I was introducing you, I was telling you about how I formally didn't get a chance to meet you at that event. It was so many people there, man. And I mean, my mind was just blown by uh, Michael Gurian's um, information. That guy's uh, is phenomenal. Hope maybe we can one day get him on the show. But um, when when you introduced him and I heard a little about what your organization does, I'm saying, man, I got to meet that brother. I got to meet him. And I didn't get a chance to meet you. And wouldn't you know how God, <laughs> his divine intervention, we end up meeting each other anyway. And now we're going to be kind of joined to the hip a little bit because you're going to be a mentor to some of these boys at this new school that they're launching. So I'm excited that um, you're on the show because I think this may not be the last time you'll be here because there's a lot of different topics you can talk about. But we brought you on the show to talk about thriving, um, helping our boys thrive into as they grow into manhood. But Troy, before we get started, man, I always ask the men who come on our show, even some of the women, of giving us their favorite Bible verse that gives them inspiration from the Word of God. What's yours, man? Well, you know, I, I like to put everything in the context there. there there's so many, but I really for 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 this purpose. And, and since I've been involved heavily in in helping boys become men, first uh, Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, 
I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. And and that's a pretty powerful verse for me because um, as a young man raised without a father, you know, when you tried to figure out when I became a man, that part is really interesting because there's so many people who we don't know where that line of demarcation is. And there are plenty of of adults who uh, are the age of men who act like children. And and that's causing a number of, of, of issues right now. And so part of the work we do is to try to help these young folks figure out how to launch correctly. Right, right. And I, that's one of my favorite Bible verses as well. And, and you just mentioned about about being raised without a father in the home. And I'm going to ask you that question first before we get into the um, the rest of the discussion, because I always like to find out the, the personal story behind the behind the man, because we know that um, a lot of times are the test in our lives and they, what they call they say the mess in our lives become our message. So tell us a little bit about your personal story, Troy. And um, what was your home like um, growing up as a child? You mentioned your dad wasn't there. Tell us more. Well, um, you know, to kind of take it all the way back, you know, my mother was a a sophomore in college. She was uh, 19 years old when I was born and we were migrant workers. So we we literally traveled up and down I-95 on the East Coast um, in the summer to 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 work in the summers and when they were out of season, out of school season. And so my mom was working in the summer and um, I never met my dad. I mean, I met my dad when I was 11, maybe 11 years old, but I never knew who he was. And so when my mom being a college student, um, when I was born, uh, she had to go back to school. She's one of the few in her generation that actually went to college. So um, I was raised by my aunt in New York and raised by her. She had a, um, a son that was a year older than me. And as a result, I ended up literally growing up at my aunt's house who had a daughter and four other boys. Now her husband died when I was three, something like that. And basically she had a few different uh, boyfriends, if you would. And she has, you know, five kids total. And basically it was a life of living in a household where, you know, the government was our best friend in the terms of social services, uh, food stamps, free lunch. Uh, but also growing up in a, in a migrant working family, there was a lot of sort of old school tactics in terms of raising kids. And, you know, for the most part, kids were 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 um, uh, to be seen and not heard and, you know, do the work and grind. And we basically grew up like my mom's generation. So we kind of didn't have the same kind of childhood. We played, but we also had a pretty rough time. You know, I worked in the fields when I was eight and nine years old because that was the babysitter in the summer. You know, and, and, you know, my brother and I, I call him my brother. He's my cousin. But I remember us crying, man. You know, why in the world are we doing this at seven, eight years old? We're not even on the payroll, but it was just something to do, you know, and with a big hat, uh, 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 some salt for a tomato and, and, and just sitting out there in that sun and just working and uh, just learning how to just internalize your pain, man. And so for me personally, what I like to share and what's kind of driven me uh, to move this direction is. Um, one, I was always a strong student and, you know, I was a pretty good athlete. I was a small kid, but a lot of things kind of came into fruition, um, as I came through the system because people saw this young man with these adverse situations, um, saying this, you know, one or two of them are going to make it. We found one who will. And so they kind of put their arms around me, the community, but not having a dad at home. I just had no model of that part of it. I know how to do the school stuff and I know how to do the work stuff. But I didn't know how to do the relational stuff. I wasn't very good at that. 
You know, now, Troy, I mean, you bring up a lot of different things because I, I never I haven't been exposed to a lot of people who have been migrant workers. But that's got to be a very difficult and hard oh. life, man. Oh, wow. Um, my dad grew um, I, I, my dad grew up on like in a very rural area in Florida. And when he tells me about his life and some of the things he went through, um, even though our lives are totally different, I always say that I had it. Um, I had it rough, but he had it tough. Because they didn't even have paved roads and they have dirt roads and that kind of thing. But and he used to do a lot of tobacco farming. Oh, yeah. And I heard about I've heard nightmare stories about right. picking tobacco. I didn't know it was Cropping that tobacco. grueling. Cropping tobacco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he would tell me that story. So that in itself had to be um, very hard on a, a on a kid that young. But I want to go back um, because we're going to get back to what how you got into and what inspired you to do this. But you not you say you were raised by your aunt. Mom was 19 years old. Dad wasn't there. You didn't meet him until he was 11 years old. But what kind of impact um, now looking back in hindsight, not having your dad and your mom there? Because most people, you know, they say, OK, my dad's not there, but I got the nurturing from my mom. But in your particular case, your mom wasn't physically there either. And your dad wasn't there. What kind of impact looking backwards now do you think that had on you as a boy? Well, I think it causes you to have a more transactional view of the world. Um, you know, it was a function. My mom, it was best for me to be raised in New York because my aunt had kids. She was stable. She wasn't traveling. You know, my mom was still in college. You know, every summer she'd be working. So there was no place for me to call home for more than a few months. And so it made me kind of think of do what you got to do, no matter how much it hurts. Um, and my mom loved me, but I don't think my mom ever has really had the kind of relationship with me that my aunt had. And I think personally, it created probably a little bit of separation anxiety from my mom that I didn't even know about until I became an older person that I would I would tend to be more reserved with my feelings and not be very vulnerable because I didn't want anybody to ever leave me and have it hurt. So I I, I didn't understand this until about two or three years ago, honestly. But but I think that not having my mom there um, was a big piece. I never resented her for it. I just understood that my aunt loved me, my mom loved me, but that was just her way of showing love was to protect me from this this instability. You know, and we like we said, we're going to talk about um, helping our boys thrive. But I want the men out there who are listening to this to understand, too, that, you know, I hate to say this, but I know you personally, you won't take it the wrong way, that we are, in a sense, we're boys um, who, especially if we grew up without having that stable family environment that because I was just like you, Troy, I didn't understand um, the impact of my dad not being there and my mom being there um, physically, but not there emotionally to, like you said, until I got much older. And so from the standpoint, we, you know, we as the, we may be men on the outside, but developmentally, we're still kind of like boys. And so I want to ask you this, um, and I hope it is not too tough a question to ask you, but how did you say that you came in just a couple of years ago? What was the telltale signs for you to understand that? Wow, I didn't realize that had an impact on me when I was a child. What did you notice in the uh, close to the present day that kind of stood out to you and say, wow, this goes back to then? Well, I, I realized my need to have to control things. Yeah, same here. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and it was controlling all types of things. And it's not, you know, there's a certain amount of narcissism kind of baked in that, right? But, but at the end of the day, it was to my, my way of protecting myself was to control as much as possible. So, for example, I would put more effort into work versus my relationship with my wife because I couldn't control. I could do the best I could at home, but I know at work 
if I if I do more here, more output becomes there. It's more linear, linear sequential. <clears throat> Sorry, at home and when you're dealing with emotions and when you're dealing with raising kids, all those things, there's so many variables that you didn't have as much control. So for most men like myself, I would spend more time doing that. And, and it wasn't until I got into a men's group, a Christian men's group, where we started really talking about being vulnerable. And that word almost made my skin crawl because <laughs> right. because 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 ultimately that's what I did. I kind of created a world for myself in which I can control a lot more. And there was a lot of success attached to it. But really, when I realized that 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 I am af- definitely afraid of being out of control, like not having the the, the, the having the, the, the floors, you know, open beneath me. And I was probably, you know, back to my childhood when I when I lost my mom, even though I didn't feel it, you know, it was there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're right on point because, you know, it's like, man, it's like um, a blueprint for um, struggles later on because I felt the exact same way that I became a controlling person thinking if I couldn't control my environment, I couldn't control what was going on happening in the home. And then you add abuse on top of that when you're just a child, you start to start to overcompensate by trying to control everything. And you mentioned that you were an athlete. And what did you play football, Troy? I played football, yeah. And see, I wrestled. And people said, Joe, why'd you pick wrestling? Because I loved all sports, but you know, you already know what's coming, Troy. I picked wrestling because it's a one man, <laughs> there's only one guy that I need to beat. And so my success as a wrestler depended on me, not on other people. And so a lot of times we don't realize that even our subconscious choices about what we do, and like you saying, yours would work, that we start trying to control an environment because our lives were so out of control and we couldn't control the negativity that came our way as a result of it. So I definitely can relate to that. Now, Joel, let's transition a little bit because um, I really want to know, based on the fact of your childhood and some of that you had to go through as a child, what inspired you or made you want to go into this type of work? Um, because not everybody would choose to do this. They, you know, like with me, I didn't decide to want to go work with um young people I really wanted to be successful in just trying to take care of myself because I wasn't being taken care of as a child but what um, brought you into this field working with um, young men well there's several things Um, one um, you know givers create givers and for me you know I had a guidance counselor in my high school I'll never forget she said where do you want to go to school and uh, I remember uh, I remember sitting down on her sofa and I said, well, where is it? 70 degrees. I literally asked her that. I had (laughs) no idea. I said, I'm going to Miami or Arizona State. Right. That's what I was looking. But then I started getting recruited for football and some other things. But but more importantly, when I was applying to colleges, she said, really, not just what do you want to be, but what do you want to be doing? And and so when I thought about it, I, I never really thought about it like that. And she was my biggest fan. She literally took money out of her own pocket to pay for some of my college applications. And when you have a person that doesn't have to do something for you, but they're willing to do it and they treat you like family, although they don't even have to, then that 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 really sparks something in most people to be that kind of person as well. And so for me, I was always the person that wanted to serve and wanted to teach. Um, when I went to college, I ended up majoring in mathematics. But the interesting thing is I didn't want to teach. I said, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to make some money because you grow up poor. You're like, let me get paid. Yeah, that was right? me too. Yeah, that was the thing. And, <laughs> yeah. and the truth is, the only reason why I ended up in the school business is because I was interviewing for a job with Procter & Gamble or someone. And I had a suit on and this headhunter for the school search firm came in and said, you know, we well, want to interview. And I said, I don't want to be a teacher. And they said, well, 
it's an independent school. You don't have to be a certified teacher. You know, if you majored in a subject, you can teach. Why don't you come in and just talk to me? And when I talked to this person, here's what I did. I, I loved the interview more than any other interview I had. And then I said to myself, I'm going to visit one school, just one. And, and then I'm going to close the book because I have to decide on these other jobs. And that one school, when I visited, I saw the opportunity to be the teacher that I never had or the best of my best teachers and eliminate the worst of the worst. But more importantly, look at it from the student's perspective. And that was so powerful because that that fed my soul. And honestly, in the 28 years of being an educator, I never got tired because there was always energy gained from the from the from the thrill of helping somebody and changing it, changing their lives and seeing it happen right in front of you. Yeah. You know, it's hard a lot of times, especially when you're in education like you and I um, are, um, or at least what I was, is trying to communicate to people this passion that you have when they say, well, they don't even get paid that much. Why would you want to do that? Because there's nothing like it. Uh, like you said, seeing that change happen right before your eyes. And, you know, you hear some of the coaches talk about because you've been on the ball field as well as in the classroom is that you, you hear coaches talk about it all the time. They said that it's just not about the wins and losses and trying to help them win, but seeing them develop as men. That's right. And when you see that you can make that type of impact, it does drive your passion and gives you energy. I, I tell people all the time, I joke with them. And I said, you know what? Teaching also keeps you young. That's now, right. We may be That's old right. dudes now, but we got a lot more energy than the average person our age because we're around young people. You know, and, and you, you feed off that energy. Well, you have to also have a sense of humor. And I feel like, you know, I have a quick little saying. I said, you need to to laugh out loud once a day and laugh till you cry once a week. And if <laughs> like you're a that. good educator That's and good. you want to be great at what you do, don't take yourself so seriously. And one thing that kids will do is they'll keep you on your toes. But one thing that you talked about pretty quickly was I, I call it psychic income, right? You have that, that green stuff that goes in your pocket or goes the checking account, but it's the psychic income you get from changing lives and the, and the self-worth you get and the gratitude that you have to have the opportunity to serve. And a lot of people miss that because they're, they're, again, looking at the world as transactional instead of transformational. And for me, I was fortunate because when we didn't have a lot of money growing up, we had plenty of this psychic income. That's what we, we that was our capital right there. How do we change people? How do we make them laugh? How do we how do we enjoy each other's company? And that's why when people say, you know, when you have a family reunion, this seems like you got like a talk show here waiting to happen or, or a TV show. It's because that's all we had. Right. We, we, and, and so you get really good at doing the things that you do every day. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right on point with that, too, Troy. You know, and Troy, this is a great segue and transition because we're talking about education in general. Now we're going to bring it back to the men who are with their sons and have or on, may have a son on even on the way. And as I shared in your introduction, um, you spent nearly over a quarter of a century working with boys from the classroom to the ball field and everything in between. And I brought you on the show to talk to us about helping boys thrive as they move into manhood. But before we talk about the solutions and the strategies, because I know that's what the men want, help us better understand, because you've been exposed to this for over a quarter of a decade, I mean, over a century. Why is this so important, not only to our boys, but to us as fathers, seeing them thrive as boys and going into manhood? Well, I mean, so a, a lot of this has to do with the model of what men represent today. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of changed. 
obviously it's been fantastic the progress that that women and girls have made but so the men are sort of falling back and, and getting this right lane mentality in terms of they don't want to compete they want to find other ways of of um, um, of finding validation that don't really matter. I mean, um, I'm going to spend more time on a video game than in real life because I can collect points there. Um, I, I think it's absolutely important to to make sure that innately there are times when men don't want to engage, want to fall back. You know, the muscle jobs have turned into mental jobs. So those soft skills and ability to communicate and, and reason and understand and anticipate and listen are just as important as being able to move something from one place to another. It's changed dramatically. So if men are going to thrive moving forward, we have to make sure that we're able to communicate on the same level um, as the young ladies are who are who are innately wired because of the the, the language and processing centers, the, the white matter activity in their brain. Honestly, they are they're wired to, to use words more efficiently and more effectively at an earlier age. So how do we get these guys to be able to to be able to share in that same kind of space? Crucial. Right. It's crucial. You know, and you, you bring up about the girls, about they're wired differently. And we always say they're men from Mars, women from Venus. <laughs> and you guys do a lot of research on the male brain. And I don't want to get too scientific for the men out there who are listening, because unless they're in education like we are or at least been in it. Um, I mean, it, we're constantly bombarded with data and the, the newest things, the methodologies and um, that's going to help us effectively teach um, boys better. But I want you to give a, a, a scale down version, an elementary scale down version of helping us understand um, how boys are wired when it comes to their brain. And what have you guys discovered in your research with your organization that we need to know about? Well, the first thing is that, one, the, the female brain is, is about half developed at age 11, fully developed at age 22. And the male brain is about half developed at age 15, fully developed at almost age 30. Everybody wow. talks about age 20. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and so there's a wow for you. And I don't care what grade level education you have. That one is important. Yeah. Because one of the things that we talk about, and it's not about intelligence. It's about uh, self-regulation. It's really about the, the frontal lobe where the, where the decisions are made. So you have these really bright young men who are making the, some of the worst decisions ever and the level of impulsivity because the male brain doesn't have as much serotonin, which is like brake fluid to a car. That's why I tell people um, it's really when you say, what were you thinking? The, 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 the short answer is I wasn't I thinking was at it. all. Yeah, I was thinking like, at all. <laughs> and and, 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 and this, this says a lot to do with the the. The basic premise is this. The female brain processes words on both sides of the brain. So you have more connected. So when I say family, they may say sunny day, happy grandma, dog. They'll say all these things. If I tell a boy family, he says, how many people are you talking about? And so it doesn't get that deep. And this is one of the reasons why oftentimes men and women fail to communicate effectively because she wants more information, more color, more details, more things that connect the dots where he's just saying, what's the purpose of this? Right. And so when you deal with boys, um, you have to make sure that if you want excellence, show them an example of excellence. If you assume that excellence is what you said it is, you're going to miss the mark nine times out of ten. So clean your room means show a boy what a clean room looks like and process a cleaner one, not just clean it because you are my son and you should know how to do that. And you, and you just pinpoint a lot of the problems and struggles we have as men because society just assumes that we know a lot. When I say society, I'm talking about including women. They just assume we know more than what we do. 
And when you mentioned about the the difference between the 30 year old man and the 22 year old woman, if anything, that's a um, a good argument of why men should wait to get married. <laughs> man, right there. No, no. And honestly, honestly, it's when a man really knows who he is, right? And we, and I and when I do these seminars and I talk to parents around the country, and it's really interesting because the moms and the dads who are in the room, they'll think about their relationship and when that man turned 30, what it was like. And it, it's 25, you, you, there's a certain kind of settling there. But when they turn 30, there's a real settling there in terms of the self-confidence and the know I am and the sense of purpose and some of the things that literally crystallize around age 30. You know, and the data proves that because I look at it from the spiritual standpoint, um, when I, you know, I work with mentoring and discipling and coaching a lot of men. And typically, you know, usually the, the train has gotten off the track and they're trying to get back, you know, connect emotion with their wives um, to be able to relate to their children. But, you know, what it seems to be like men, when they finally seem to get a clue, they're usually in their 30s. That's right. And because right. I know when I was doing the stupidest things in the world, you know, when I thought I knew all had all the answers, it wasn't until I got into my 30s that the train got off the track. And I started realizing, what am I doing? You know, and so but, yeah, we can't work under that assumption that that the boys do know they don't know. And so um, we have to be aware of that. And the data proves that. And so now let's get into um, some of the stuff I know that can really help men now um, if they have sons, they have boys. Um, based on what you've experienced personally and you discovered through your organization, what and then we're going to start with from a, from a negative standpoint. What seems to be the key things preventing or mistakes that we make as men and keeping our boy that keeps our boys from thriving? What do we do? And we may be unaware, not knowing that we're doing it. What are some of those things that we're doing that's preventing them from thriving and succeeding? Well, they're, they're not acknowledging that the environment has changed. And, and so boys haven't changed as much as the environment has changed. The number of influences and so forth has changed. So what we typically do as parents, and particularly as men, if it was good for me, it's going to be good for you. Exactly the same recipe, the same dosage, all the above. And one of the things that we, we realize is some of the things that actually wounded us as men growing up were the very same things that we're wounding our kids with. For example, you know, why argue about a pair of pants that you're going to wear outside? You're going to wear pants or shorts. Just take out three pairs of pants and say, which one of these three you're going to wear? Take the shorts off the table, right? But give them a choice within the choices that are reasonable. And I think sometimes we feel like we're backing down and we're folding and we're not being a man because we're not just making the definitive choice here for them. They're, they're, we, we, that's a huge piece. I call that being a Kung Fu parent. Kung Fu versus the Tai Chi parent. You know, Tai Chi used the force. Kung Fu used force. Um, um, I, I do believe that you have that piece. I think what we define as as what it means to be a man in terms of amount of toughness and about not expressing what you think. You know, when you when you say you need to be seen and not heard, that you don't have a voice. Here's the interesting thing that was might have may have worked years ago because. Everybody was doing the same thing because culture said that's what happens. But when you have an inconsistent culture because you have everything from social media to their access to to the Internet and so forth, they're constantly trying to figure out what's normal. And that's that's one of the biggest challenges of men is that we haven't kind of synced up. We, we got our own version of it right now. And and what I'm seeing with all these houses, I've, I've coached and taught hundreds of boys and there's nothing that's in. There's no midline on this anymore. It's the most interesting thing. And so one of the things that a lot of schools do and a lot of communities do and a lot of teams do is they create a culture within the culture. And that's what's the most powerful thing. You know, uh, Troy, I've noticed something. You probably noticed it, too, from working with um, kids at different schools. And I don't know if I'm just getting old or something, but I do classroom observations and 
check out what's going on. And I'm seeing this increased level of anger in yeah. boys. I'm talking the younger boys. I'm talking about elementary school age. And um, I don't know where that's coming from since, you know, boys have still been boys and we've had our challenges and issues and it's still the break up the home and everything. But where do you have you seen the same kind of similar spike in anger? And if so, where do you think it's coming from? Well, again, I, I think part of it is that they're they're seeing and they're being exposed to more. So they, they're 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 actually seeing more angry boys. Let's just call it what it is. Right. Um, you know, I think the other thing is, again, being seen, not heard. It was accepted. That's that. That's what kids did back in the day. It was a fact. You know, your friends, mom, friends come over. You better get back. You better get lost. Don't show up in the living room. Don't walk through here. Well, nobody did that in anyone's houses. But now they're they're angry because they're frustrated that their normal is not normal. And so you have kids that are incredibly frustrated um, through their experience with their parents. And so I, I think they don't know how to express anything but anger. That's the only manly that's the only manly emotion that kids seem to hang on to. They said that's what being a man is. I can't be sad. I can't get my feelings hurt. I got to be angry. Angry works for me. Because I'm still tough. I'm still tough if I'm angry. Right. You know, that, that's interesting that you say that because, yeah, it seems like if you, if they were if you had to label masculine and feminine um, emotions, they probably say anger is a masculine emotion. And really, it has nothing to do with masculinity. But that's what we what we've seen, what we experienced. And let's get down to the nitty gritty now, because you mentioned about using old models. And, you know, as far as that preventing us from helping our boys thrive. But let's get down to some stuff that can we can actually do that you learn from your experience in working with boys and working at Macaulay and working in your organization. Now, what are some of the things that you would suggest we do as fathers to help our boys thrive as men? I think that the number one thing our boys need to see, one, is they need to see us. Um, this was something I, I meant to mention earlier. Um there's an incredible amount of anxiety that's created in young men when they see the perfect dad. And, and so I now, think, so let me interrupt you. You mean the perfect, what do you mean by the perfect dad? Be the perfect dad. I mean, the dad that they think is perfect. See, they already think you hung the moon. Even when you, when you disrupt and you can treat the, your mom, the, the, your spouse, all kinds of ways, they still think dad's the greatest. But when, when I mean is my son one day, um, he got in trouble and I got after him pretty good. And he said, Dad, it's so easy for you to say this kind of stuff because you're perfect. And what I realized is here's my son. And I always wondered why he wouldn't try certain things is because he never wanted to fail in my eyes. And so and so so that's one thing is that a dad has to be able to say sorry. And a dad has to say I made the wrong turn. And a dad has to say, I don't know the answer to that right now. I'm working on that. Right. Those are things that men can do specifically for themselves. But then when it comes to working with boys is to understand what motivates boys. For example, what I said is is using words all the time to explain something. Boys don't process words the way they process actions and and getting them involved and showing them what excellence looks like and modeling that behavior is crucial. The other thing is this. I tell people all the time, time. The clock is your best friend when it comes to boys. Boys are competitive naturally. And so how do you utilize the, the fact that if I said, hey, son, can you take these shoes up to the bedroom? He's like, I don't really want to do that. Let's say he says that. Now, he probably wouldn't say that to me, but he'd say that to somebody. <laughs> right. And I said, well, son, you know, I bet you can't take these shoes to the room in 15 seconds. They sprint mm. the room, right. <laughs> so so that's an age old thing. Right. But 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 what really when it comes to working with teachers and work with so forth, boys struggle with transitions because the male brain doesn't multitask as well as the female brain. Fact. 
Right. So what do you do? You create music or you use time to, to create a boundary for the transition. We have to. Uh, I had kids on the lacrosse field. They had these balls on the field. I said, guys, you need to pick these balls up. We're ending practice. They're picking the balls up and they're throwing them back in the goal and shooting them. I said, well, we can be out here for five days. You know what I said? I said, guys, we have 49 seconds to pick the balls up. They picked them up in 23. It's that kind of thing. It's to be specific and to have a target. Yeah, it's like putting a golf ball. If you give kids one, if you punish a kid and you take away hope, then you take then that kid is he's already taken away hope because his low serotonin levels, he goes from zero to hero and back every five seconds anyway. And so when you take away hope, he'll just say, Well, I don't need it. I'll just quit on that. Right? So what you have to do is, regardless of the punishment, regardless of whatever that thing is, you always have to have a short-term goal in the middle. It's like putting a, a 30-foot putt. Find a spot in the middle that they have to hit. I had a coach the other day. I was talking to him. He kicked the kid out of the weight room. He was upset at the kid. He says, well, he's got to earn his way back in. He's got to be humble. He's got to rack weights. He's got to serve his team to get back in here. I said, well, how long is that? He said, well, he's got to do that. I said, well, who judges that? He said, well, that's all subjective, right? You get to see whether or not he's met the criteria. I said, how about if you say, I'm gonna observe you for the next five days. If you exhibit some kind of behavior, we can reevaluate then. Now that kid has hope. But parents don't do that, man. We give these indefinite suspensions, you know, you're grounded for life, you know, and, and we don't realize that when you take away hope, you already have a human being who is predisposed to being hopeless at times because of the, the chemicals in their brain. And that's why you have kids dropping out of school, dropping out of college, disengages in, in life. Because they don't see a short-term goal. I tell you, Troy, uh, this is great stuff, man. I I'm taking notes like a madman. And I realize now that we serve a mighty God because it's by the grace of God I haven't ruined my son. Because <laughs> 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 as you're going through this, this makes, this makes perfect sense. And as I'm looking at this stuff, I'm thinking, wow. And I didn't do any of this stuff consciously, but by trial and error, which is sad because I didn't have somebody to teach me how to do it. But I see now that God is by the grace of God that I didn't. He's not in therapy right now. Because I'm saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I, I mean, I've been doing this work. But here's the thing. Isn't it interesting? And your son, your son will go and uh, do you, you ask your son, hey, son, I need you to do the dishes tonight. Take out the trash. He's going to mope around the house. Well, he'll go over his friend's house. He'll volunteer to do the dishes and take out the trash. <laughs> now, you know what that's about. That's about control. See, That's about control. And again, when it all boils down, I all went all the way back to it. And this is why being able to allocate certain amounts of control as you raise your boy, because it's not because, you know, as men, we're always trying to make sure we got the con. We're in the driver's seat in the 10-2 position. And then we are threatened by this guy showing up because his job at some point is to drive for himself. And so the challenge is, how do you how do you relinquish certain levels of control that are reasonable at the right time to so he can have a certain amount of autonomy and pride in what he's doing? That's why he washes dishes at someone else's house and not your house, because he doesn't have to. He controls the fact he's a good kid. He knows what's about. But <laughs> Troy, you are so on point. I'm uh, my saying, my son moved out of the house. Um, was it last year? Or it was just about maybe less than a year ago. He's in college, so um, he moved into an apartment with one of his friends and everything. And you know, of course, I we we have lunch together. We you know hang out, and he couldn't wait to bring me over to look at his apartment. Now, 
is it's nothing. I mean, it's like a little hole in the wall, right? But you know what? He wanted to bring me over to see how clean his apartment was. Wow. Right? About how he keeps his... Now, his roommate, he says, Dad, now my roommate's a mess, but I want you to look. Now, I'm like... Now, he doesn't realize he's making me mad by showing me this. Because I couldn't, you know, I had to get on him all the time when he was here at the house. You follow me? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what you're saying. And I'm thinking, without anybody telling him or reminding him, he's now trying to keep his environment clean. Because like you said, that he's now exercising that that level of control. It's his identity versus yours. Yes, absolutely. It's his identity. He's establishing his identity. And I think that's a painful thing for a father and a, and a son, because at some point that boy competes with his father. This is the reason why you need to have surround your son by people who have shared values that you have, who who really can communicate well with your son, because it doesn't have to be you. Yes. Yeah, say that, man. Troy. You. Say that, Troy. That is you. Yeah. Are absolutely right. Say that again. There are so many men who are threatened by the fact that there are other men who influence their sons as much, if not more than them at times. I thank God to have that because I want to surround. I always wanted to surround my son by men who I trust and I respect their opinions and they have shared values, but they also have a incredible influence over my boy. And and I tell parents, I said, listen, you need to know I, I, the first thing I ask when they have interesting challenges with their sons, I said, who has the greatest influence over your boy? How well do you know them? How much are you talking to them about what you need to and what you're trying to accomplish? Let them help you. Let them work with your son. And there's many who don't do it. Troy, I, I think about how um, I run several men's groups and my son has been exposed to these men's groups. And it's so funny because they, they love interacting with him and talk with him and teasing him and playing around with him. And it's so funny when my son and I get alone, he'll say something. He'll drop something on me like this wisdom about what he learned from one of the guys that told him. And of course, you know, I'm thinking, dude, I've told you that like a million yeah, that's times. Exactly right. <laughs> right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and he's so thrilled about that wisdom and that knowledge. And after I was able to get over myself to say, Joe, who cares how he gets it? As long as he gets it. And I'm glad that I have some men around me who can reinforce the same kind of values that I've been trying to teach him. So you're right on point with that, that we need to bring as many men into our son's lives as possible, as possible. You know, I, I want to get to some other questions, but you covered so much. And I, and I actually want to do a quick <laughs> review because I think this is just too good for men not to catch this when it comes to our boys. As you said, man, show them imperfection, you know, show them imperfection. I, I remember when I was frustrated because I wasn't, quote, the perfect dad. Um, God spoke to my heart and told me, he says, no, that's what I want you to do. I want you to be imperfect. I said, but God, but I don't know what I'm doing. He said, now show your son how you respond when you don't know what you're doing. I said, but, but God, but I, I'm, I'm flawed in this area. Show him how you deal with your flaws and your weaknesses. Admit your weaknesses to him. And do you know me admitting that has made me a stronger father by letting him know I don't have all the answers and I don't have it all together. And so I, I love that. And you mentioned also about, and you know, I'm real big on this, about lead by example. Show them, you said, show them excellence. Don't just tell them about it. Show them. You know, I think what's that old saying that grandma says that grandma said, he said, grandma, how you do that? He said, baby, I can show you better than I can tell you. <laughs> so let you know, we got to show our sons. You also mentioned and I love this about using time as a challenge and be specific about what we're telling our sons. Oh, that right. That is a home run right there because you are absolutely right. I mean, I have to break things down like my son's a first grader. <laughs> for him to get it, but he gets it and he has confidence and he doesn't ever say, dad, why are you speaking down to me? He likes the fact that he's, he's, he's reducing the chance of failure, which goes into what your next point you said is don't take away hope from him. You got to give him a win. 
Let them win at something. Now, I, oh, I got to stop right here because I, let me get the last one because I need you to help me. On this okay, I got it, man. So right. the other thing you said also is give them control, allocate control to them. But I want to go back to the hope thing because I can't wait to hear what you're going to say about this, okay, Troy. Okay. My son, I've always, whenever we play sports, I never let them win. Okay. Right, right, <laughs> I, right, never, right. I never let them win. Now, his mom used to get on me about it because, you know, of course, he's crying. He's upset. And he doesn't win. But I went to him one day and I want you to tell me if I did I do it the right way <laughs> or not. But I went one day and I said, Kendall, I said, your mom is getting on me because she says that um, I need to let you win, you know, <laughs> because you're not winning. I said, Kendall, now I want you to know I can let you win. You know, sometimes I said, but I'm doing it because I want you to raise your game. I want you to compete and that kind of thing. I said, but at the same time, your mom makes sense. You know, it's got to be discouraging if you're losing all the time. I said, how do you want me to handle it? Because, again, I'm, I'm clueless, Troy. I don't know yeah, how to be yeah, a dad. Right, I got, I got so I'm asking him. I'm asking this kid, tell me how to father you. <laughs> and he told me, he says, Dad, don't let me win. He says, don't let me win. It's going against. We know that we need to give him the win to build a confidence. But he says, dad, don't let me win. And I was teaching him chess. And one day um, I beat him, but he almost beat me. Right. And he asked me, he says, dad, did you almost let me win? Yeah, 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 <laughs> and I right, said, right, no. Right, right. So based on the research and based on what you know, Troy, when it comes down to competing with our sons, when it comes to games and sports, how what, is there a better way to handle this? You know, I think you handle it almost the best way possible. You asked him. See, uh, this is my thing. They're, they're, how many fathers would ask their child that? We don't ask our boys anything. And, and it's funny because when my son graduated from uh, high school and went off to college, the best advice, some of the best advice I was ever given was to say this to my boy. Son, I've given you advice your entire life. Now you have to ask for it. I gave oh, him the good, choice. See, that was the ultimate control. And you know what? He would call me five to one over his mom, even though he knew that I would be harder on him than my wife would be. But he knew that I was not going. I just gave it was hard for me to do. But I said, it's time. And and and, and so it, it's just something that when you ask your son about letting him win for me personally, with my son, I know that there are some things that he's better at than me already. My son can read more words per minute than me for a fact. We had this speed reading thing we did. And I was like, wow, this kid just is off the grid. Well, there are already, there are some things that your son is innately because he's done it longer than you have, right? Old school, new school. But when it comes to sports, I got, I'm with you on that one, man. I, you know, if we're playing basketball, you know, once you get out here on the, on the court, man, all, all said and done, I know you're my son. <laughs> need to also all share love and war. That's right. I mean, I'm being real because they have to also understand that to be a good sport and all that. But once you step onto the sacred ground when it's called the court or on the rectangle that's called the field, you know, this you're playing in traffic now. And, and so understand that that's the rules of engagement that life is going to serve you if I don't serve it to you now. And Troy, so, you, you just helped so, me out a lot. And I think this can help the guys, too, because you said something that I never really thought about when Kendall was younger is that there are things that he excelled at. And my thing is, why not put him in an environment where he excels? So I probably I am going to lose even if I try my best. That's right. <laughs> like he's really, really big right. into rock climbing. He's really big in rock climbing. And he's a lot better at it than I am. And it's amazing. He always wants me to go rock climbing with him because right. he knows he's better at it than I am. But that's what I mean. And the thing about it is, you know, we're in that space where, you know, I think, oh man, that was one of those things. I didn't know that was gonna pop up. But but yeah, so the so the one thing about the rock climbing, it, it it's not in our system in terms of what we tend to value because we we didn't grow up doing it. Yeah. But that's something climb. that's a specialty of his. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
and, and, and that's his arena. And I do think that that's important to kind of walk over to wherever their where their specialty is and get in their space. And, and they can kind of lead in some ways, which is kind of awesome, too. Dad, this is what you do. You climb with your legs more than you climb with your your arms. Yeah, he's I teaching me. Yeah, he that. tells me every, he's always correcting me. <laughs> Tell me what. That's good, but, you know, but that's what I'm saying. So so what there is, there's a relationship there. And I think that's probably the most difficult thing. Again, I didn't grow up with a dad. So my model for, for having a dad, when I found out who my dad was, I mean, the guy has 22 kids or something like that. Wow. You know, just incredible. And I was like, well, I'm kind of glad I wasn't around him, you know, because that could have been a mess. But but more importantly, in raising my son, the best thing that I had was I saw a bunch of amazing dads in my community and and they weren't all perfect. But I took the best parts of them. And what I didn't know what to do was like a like a football team on fourth down punt. And I just found somebody to punt to. And, and if I couldn't find a human being, I punt to the Lord. It was that simple. I said, God, I need you. No, I, I do. I do have a story that that that's pretty. Honestly, it, it talks about my faith as much as honestly, I didn't know what to do with my son. And I didn't know what to do with myself because I had no practice for this one thing. And it happened to me. And God saved both of us in a lot of ways. You know, Um yeah, I mean, I was at my wit's end. I was like, man, I got an 18-year-old boy who thinks he's 28, and I got to figure out how to handle this. And I, you know, if, if it wasn't for going to church that day, it was literally like seeing a burning bush. It was like, wow, God just put this one in our laps and said, this is what you do. You know, and you that's a great point you make, too. A lot of times when we're, um, for lack of a better word, inept at knowing what to do or how to do it, that's why we do. The, um, the Lord has given us a counselor called the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in spirit and truth. And so we got to depend on him and lean a lot. I can't tell you how many times I've had to face my son or answer something. I said, God, help me. I have no idea what to do. I have no idea what to say. And all of a sudden, something will come out. I'm like, wow, God, that was good. <laughs> I didn't well, notice that. <laughs> you said those very words. I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to say. How many men are willing to say that? And how many will say it out loud? They're very few. That's probably our number one issue right there. Yeah, it comes down to our, our ego and our pride. You know, and Troy, we're running um, um, close to time, but I'm going to get to the man up questions. But I, so I have I had several questions I didn't get to ask you, but I want to ask them because I think this is probably the most important of the ones I had left on my my page here. Um, because I really want you to to speak to these men out there. And I'm talking about um, the men and like you run into them a lot. A lot of men who are desperately they desperately want to be better fathers than their own dad. But they're still struggling. You know, we've been there. We we understand. Could you speak to the father out there who may have grown up even with a dad, but who was seemingly impossible to please? You know that man I'm talking about. He was emotionally disconnected from the kids. He um he had he believed in negative reinforcement to motivate and discipline his son. And this guy that I want you to speak to, he doesn't know any other way to relate to his son because he had a, a really, really tough dad in the home who really made him feel less than. He didn't experience those victories. He didn't feel in control, but yet he feels inadequate as a dad. What advice would you give him? Well, the, the number one thing I would do for those fathers to to know, um, one, to, to do your homework in terms of first thing I was childhood experiences, ACEs. And, and research that and see what the effects are, because I think a lot of us, a lot of people who feel that way have experienced it. And all we're doing is manifesting it in, in, the, in the lives of our sons in some way. Um, I, I think taking a, the, the number one thing that a, that a dad could do with the son right now is probably a routine walk with your son. 
shoulder to shoulder, a routine walk, just line. Because usually when, when these fathers interact with their kids, there's something on the line. There's, there's something to solve or something to do or something to fix and not just in that space. And a number of these parents also deal with their kids in in groups as opposed to individuals. And I think being able to get that boy and isolate, because remember, they want your time as much as anything. I don't care how many kids are in the house. And I told folks, I said, if you have 10 children, you need to take 10 walk, 10 laps a day, because giving them that individual undivided attention, you might be surprised what they share with you, because that shoulder to shoulder walking and talking gets that spatial mechanical brain working, but also no conflict. You're going to get more words out of that kid and you're going to build a better relationship with them. That's absolutely good. And then the last thing would be find out what they're doing well while you got time. Find out what they're doing well and try to try to take an interest in whatever that thing is, even if it's on the opposite end of the spectrum of what you're used to. You know, I tell you, this is some good stuff, Troy, um, you know, because I, I wish now I could go back and do that. I've, I spent a lot of time with my son as well as my daughter. But I can I can count on one hand how many times we've taken a walk. We all have been driving in the car. But I never thought about about physically walking does something. And I wish I could go back. And well, I guess it's never too late. I can always say, hey, next time we hang out, let's go walking. <laughs> you oh, yeah. know? No, no, I, I'm telling you, it's amazing. Yeah. It, it, it changed. I never everything. thought about that before. That's that's great stuff, man. Well, Troy, we've reached um, our infamous, what we call our man up questions. These are five quick questions, um, starting with the letters M-A-N-U-P. And all they require is your fearless honesty, which Troy, you won't have a problem with. And so the question is, man, are you ready? I'm ready, man. I'm ready. I'm buckled up. All right. Well, we'll be right back after this short break to talk to my guest, Troy Kemp. And he's going to be uh, he's going to tackle the man up questions. We'll be right back in a moment. Mighty men of God, I'm back here with my guest, Troy Kemp, and he's going to tackle the man of questions for us today. And Troy, I can't wait to ask you these questions, man, because um, I want to get more into your personal life when it comes to this. And you work with boys, you work with men, and you work with developing them. Now, I want you to go back and let's look at you personally. If you When you look back, um, the M stands for mistake. What mistake did you learn the most from as you look back in your life that you learned the most from as a man? Uh, I, I tried to put probably too much uh, emphasis on control, which means I became a workaholic. And um, I think I lost some time with my wife and my kids as a result of it. I put more time into what I can control. Um, and I think that that was something that that ultimately I was able to I'm working to try to dig myself out of that hole. But but that was something that I did. I just thought that that was more the definition of what I should be. You know, and I mentioned about our, early in the introduction, I mentioned about your wife, Diana. You have three adult children. How old are your children? And, uh, so, so my son, my oldest is uh, TJ. He's 26. He'll be 27 this year. My young, my next is Tori. She's 24. And then Tia is my youngest. She's 19 years old. All right. So you have, so that's one boy, two girls, right? Yes, sir. And Troy, I got to tell you, because they don't know you. They can't. They can only hear you. Troy, you look great for your age. I would not have believed you had a 26 year old. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I was 23 when he was born. So that, that'll that tell you right now. Oh, I'll be 50. Man. I'll be 50 in, in, in about a, you know, a little bit. Uh, that is awesome. Now, the A stands for our attitude. Um, if you could change one attitude, I'm talking about now in men. We're going to get off of you a little bit. This, what you could change men based on working with them and what you're trying to do is connect them with boys and help them help boys grow as men. 
what attitude would you change? And man, I think I may know what you're going to say, but I can't wait to hear it. What, would you, what attitude would you change? Well, the attitude is all going back to the same thing. Uh, the attitude is, is, to, is, to, is to be able to manage everything, to be able to control everything, to be able to manipulate, you know, I think to be more vulnerable as men. I think the number one thing is for men to trust more and be more vulnerable. There's the, that, that's the toughest thing because it all kind of comes back to that. Yeah. And I tell you, it keeps us from growing as men because we, we we're better together than we are separate. And if we don't trust one another, we're not vulnerable to one another. We're trying to do it like a lone ranger. And you know, I always joke, I say even a lone ranger had Tonto. So why are we trying to do it by ourselves? And so That's you're right. absolutely right on that. Now, let's go to the end. The end stands for next. And even though you're doing some great work with your organization, I want to know what would be the next big thing you would attempt to do for God if you couldn't fail? You know, I, I would probably. um I would I would open a school. I would open my own school and I would probably specifically try to target. I know it may be impossible, but these young men who don't have fathers, um, I would I would go after that demographic and I would do the parent education to help these moms who are trying to raise these boys without fathers. And I would bring in the mentors from around the community, but I would literally target the ones who are probably the most endangered species of man on this planet. The, the, the African-American and the Latino young men who don't have fathers at home because the prisons are full of them. Boy, I tell you, you know, when you mentioned that too, but you mentioned one component I thought was very interesting. You said of parent education, because it's one thing to educate the kid. There's another thing to educate the parent of that kid. That's right. Because every no parent wants the worst for their kid. They want the best for their kids. But a lot of times they're just not equipped and they don't know what to do. Exactly. And so and if you've seen some of the most successful models of, of schools that they're starting charter schools, they have that component of it as well is that they're training the mentors. They're training the parents of how to be better parents. So that makes perfect sense to me. Now, the U um, stands for understand. Now, when you were a younger dude, all right, what was the one thing you didn't understand about being a man, Troy, that you understand better now? Well, it, my definition of what a man was, right? My, my definition of a man was about sex, money, and power. That was it. And then I realized that, that honestly, being a man is more about being comfortable enough to relinquish the control and trust more. And the fact that you, one, it's not all about you in the first place. And it's about your relationship. So I think it was sort of the opposite of those things that I grew up really trying to, that were defining me, were, were limiting me. You know, what seems funny about this is that when because a lot of men, we struggle with the definition of manhood. That's probably the number one question I get asked when I'm on other people's radio show is, Joe, tell us what the definition of a man. But, you know, what's so funny about it is that society in our definition of men as what we're taught and what God considers what man is. They could not be totally opposite of each other. <laughs> you would think at least there'd be a little bit of overlap or something. <laughs> say, well, that's a little bit of But it's like it's totally the opposite where you're saying about relinquishing control. And now what does God say? No, you have to be able to submit and surrender. That's just that's total opposite of what we try to teach boys to be. Never surrender. Never give up. God said, I get that. But in my kingdom, <laughs> you gain by surrendering. You know, and that's something that is not in our DNA, it seems like. So but it's just interesting that our definition of manhood and God's definition are so polar opposites of each other. And so here's the last question, Troy, and we'll let you off the hook, man. This it starts with letter P and the P stands for problem. As a mighty man of God, which you are, man, what problem in your life do you still struggle with as a man, even today, knowing as much as you do? I, I still struggle with with intimacy. 
you know, I struggle with with, again, this whole notion of vulnerability. Um, it, it's literally I, I was thinking about writing a book about uh, or an article or podcast, whatever, on the dangers of being a self-made man in quotes, because when you're a self-made man, you really feel like you only need yourself in the equation. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is that, um, you know, the good news is I'm acknowledging it and I'm working towards, you know, moving forward. But some of it is so deeply rooted in my childhood that, it, you know, I'm just trying to unpack it. God, that my son is not this way because I can tell uh, on his relationships and so forth that. But he also grew up in a village of men. You know, that that knew him and loved him and, and had those types of values. And so I saw it as the human experience. My kid grow up with a dad who was kind of fractured and fragmented and wounded and doing the best that he could. But seeing that all these other people around who were able to 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 fill in the gaps where where I had them. And I think that that's the part that that I realize. And so I'm a person, you know, I'm walking around with some 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 putty, some spackle and some mortar trying <laughs> yeah. to fill in some holes and some walls. <laughs> right. And that's literally what we do. We, yeah. we try to, to figure out, see, if we can make this thing a seamless experience by helping parents better understand what these boys need. You know, and Troy, I'm so glad you shared that that intimacy. Um, I, I break down the word. I tell people and they've probably heard this before that intimacy is intimacy. And we have a problem as men letting people see into us. I launched a um, a 21 day challenge, intimacy challenge on our Real Men University campus on our private Facebook page. And for those of you guys who want to join um, Real Men University, it's free. Just go to realmenuniversity.com. But we had a 21 day um, intimacy challenge. And I asked, I say, if you're in, it's going to be 21 days. We're going to show you how to be more intimate with your wife without having sex, <laughs> you know, and learn to learn her heart, that kind of thing. If you're in, man, men came out in droves. Yes, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Don't you know we're now on day 20 and it's like crickets. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because yeah. The, the challenges are they I guess I don't know what they were anticipating, but it calls for you being vulnerable. It calls for you opening up to your wife. It's called it's, it calls for you to have the tough conversations. It's for her to see your weaknesses. And I think a lot of men still struggle with that. So the fact that you said that and we're talking about raising boys and and getting them to thrive. I'm glad that we closed it out by you saying that because it is so important. And Troy, I'm just like. Like you, man, I'm learning this stuff. You know, I, it didn't didn't come naturally, but over time, and like you said, the, the, my fear is that my son would, you know, it's gonna he's gonna have to learn the hard way. But at the same time, he's still gonna have to learn. But if we surround him with enough men, and like you said, if he can come and ask for advice, we can help him through that process. So, Troy, thank you so much, man. Guys, that's the end thank of our you. show today. But um, don't you worry. We'll be back on um, back next week with a new guest, with new insights and new lessons. So make sure you don't miss it. And I would like to thank my guest, um, Troy Kim, for joining us and being so gracious with his time. Troy, thank you so much, man, for being on the podcast. Absolutely. I appreciate it, buddy. And, and like I said, if anybody wants to follow up with us, um, we have a, a website, which is understandingboys.org it's pretty simple understandingboys.org and we're at twitter on uh, center the number four and then boys so many messages so much information too much to share on a podcast but certainly want to continue this conversation yeah and troy you took the words right out of my mouth because i was going to ask him how you know be the best way to reach out to you and we're going to put what you just shared in the show notes understandingboys.org 
org, understandingboys.org. Um, you, they have a wealth of information on their website, and you can reach out to Troy to reach out to him anytime. And so, guys, thank you for listening. Um, please do us a quick favor if you can. This is so important. Take about 30 seconds to go over to iTunes and rate the program. Rate this interview. Rate this episode with Troy. Um, I know I learned a lot, and I have two pages full of notes to prove it. <laughs> All right. This and also by you leaving a review is the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears, and hearts of men just like you. So please don't keep us a secret. Sharing is caring, so share us with your friends. So until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth, but we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God called and created you to be because a male is a terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed, and as always, you know, stay in God's grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.